0: Coming to you from the lab where we talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Riding Shotgun is my co host, Big Keith. I'm your host, Mike, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to The Gun Experiment, Episode 10. This week, Keith and I speak to a criminal investigator, talk about the Supreme Court, and discuss new products. I just want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Monday of every month, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, by my side, the big man, Big Keith. How are we doing, Keith?
1: I'm doing well, Mike. How are you?
0: Hanging in there, man. It's been a little bit of a rough day, but we're uh, we're recording now, and that makes me happy.
1: Me too. I, uh, I definitely got my times mixed up a little bit, and I... Uh was in full sweat mode when I got on to to start this tonight. I Um. I was running around like crazy. I bought a a half of a, a beef cow and I had to distribute it to a couple people and I was running all over the spot and totally lost track of time.
0: Well, like I said, we're recording now. so I got myself a, uh, a nice apple pie moonshine sitting next to me and uh, what about you? you're your classic? you're regular?
1: I, I had to. I didn't have the time. I, I, <laughs> I, I was gonna be creative. I told myself I was, so you, you didn't have to say I was drinking the classic and uh, I just I couldn't make it happen.
0: All right, well, that's okay. Um, so anyway, we have a, an interesting guest tonight. Uh, our guest tonight is retired from the US Army with 28 years experience. He has over 20 years in law enforcement is a masterclass high-power shooter, NRA instructor, and currently works as a criminal investigator. Uh, please welcome Rick E. to the show. Rick, how you doing? You there? Good. I'm good. Uh, good to be on tonight with you guys. I uh, appreciate you coming. So before we go any further, I just want to give a disclaimer to all the listeners. Um, we're purposely being a little vague. Uh, we're only using Rick's first name and we're uh, again being a little vague about his position due to the nature of his job so uh from here on out we're we're going to kind of keep it that way but <clears throat> that was uh due to due to the respect of what you do for a living and uh, i just want to say thank you for your service to your country and community and uh certainly it means a lot to me and i'm sure keith as well definitely thank
2: you well we all thank you we we really we you all thank us but we thank you guys for appreciating what we do
0: very nice thank you so anyway um you had told me that you uh, were in Army intelligence and counterintelligence for 28 years. Is that where you sort of first got involved with firearms? Was it the military that brought you to guns, or did you already have a little bit of experience with that?
2: I've been shooting since I was about eight or nine years old. Uh, everything from 4 H to uh, skeet shooting. Uh, you know, I shot uh, competitive uh, shooting for both in college uh, and also uh, in skeet and trap uh hunted all as a young boy. So firearms were basically uh you know, it was a, a daily thing for me with the BB gun or a two or twenty two or whatever a shotgun. Uh it was almost a religion.
0: Okay. And so uh sort of in that long, that vein, like you mentioned that you did competition shooting in college, you would uh you would say that you're a master class high power shooter. I gotta be honest, I don't know I've never heard that term before.
1: <laughs> me either Mike. I was I was like wow that sounds really cool.
0: It does. It sounds very fancy, but I don't know what, even what it is, so maybe it's not so fancy. Could you kind of enlighten us as to what a master class high-power shooter is?
2: Yes. Uh, high-power or service class, rifle class shooter, is. Uh, it's an NRA competition. It's been around since like the, I'd say the, the, the 20s or so. It's uh, basically you're shooting in the in the class I, uh, classification division I shot was military-type firearms in U.S. military farms which can be anything from a 1903 Springfield all the way up to the AR-15 rifle. The military shoots, you know, whatever, you know, they shoot M16s or the old M14s. And uh, it's the the course is called paper puncher. You're shooting a bullseye target at 200, 300, and 600 yards, what open sights used to be. Now, since they've changed, they they allow up to a four-power scope because the whole idea is to emulate what the military shoots. Uh, It's usually an 80-round course. Uh, ten ten rounds per string. You know, uh, twenty rounds standing at two hundred, at a, about a twelve inch black. I believe it's it's like a, a four six inch bullseye uh, in the middle, and then you go out to three hundred. Well, two hundred yard, and then you do a, a two hundred yard sitting rapid fire, which is two shot two shots, and then eight more followed up. You got to have a magazine change two strings of that, and then you go back to three hundred yard. You do prone rapid fire, which the two hundred is like. Six, 70 seconds and i think the prone is like 65 seconds to get your 10 rounds off wow and then you go back to 600 uh and you fire 20 rounds prone position slow fire which means Jeez. they you fire around they pull it down mark it, and then you make the corrections and it's and that like i said that that bullseye is about or that black's about 20 inches across i believe it is. how long does it take to complete that entire competition well uh if you're shooting like in a local competition you start usually about seven you're done about one or two Wow. Depending on how many wow. how many strings of fire, when you go to Camp Perry, they because any, any one time you could have about eight hundred shooters on the line. Whoa! Um, yeah, yes, four strings, whatever. So now, what, can
0: anybody do that, Rick, or is it for like? Can a civilian do that?
2: Yes, yes. The old days we had what they called DCM. That's how we kind of. I started that when the military we had a local club came to us at Fort Polk and said. We'd like to use your range, and under the military, under those days, the civilian marksmanship, uh, the military was obliged to allow civilians to to do that competition because the whole purpose of all of this was started, I believe, back during World War II or before World War II, to encourage marksmanship training for the civilians for two reasons: yeah. one, for safety through the NRA, but also to provide the military a good pool of trained marksmen. Shooters. That's correct. And in the old days, when the when the you could still do this CMP. Civilian Marchant Program, you can fire some – I think it's fire three matches, and you can actually go to uh, Anniston Army Depot or uh, Camp Perry and buy an M1 grand for whatever the yeah.
0: price is. Yeah, I've heard of that. I've heard it, but I've heard that the prices used to be great, and now they're not as good as they used to be. They're,
2: they're more like collector grades uh, because uh, when I first came in, you could get an M1 grand for $168 delivered to wow. your house. Wow. So, uh, but you had to fire the three matches or be a military or reservist type thing. And, and what you did in the old days, they, you showed up on a Saturday or Sunday and you paid them $22 or whatever it was. They loaned you an M one grand and gave you 80 rounds of, of 30 alt six ball ammunition, which you get to keep, keep the brass. And you fired one match. And if you liked it, you came back, and did the whole thing. Of course, you know, like all shootings. It wasn't like, Oh, you're on your own. You always had buddies and guys would show you what to do and all that kind of stuff. So after two or three matches, if you liked it, you could buy an M1 Garand and the, and the ammunition through the clubs was usually pretty cheap. And that's how you got in. Unfortunately, now that's kind of dwindled away. President Clinton changed the law, made them be self-sufficient. Basically, you know, the whole idea that, oh, we can't have the government, you know, arming our people, which everybody was an honest citizen anyway. You couldn't do it if you're a felon. Uh, so it, they had to be self-sufficient. And plus the M1 Garands were, were you know, they were drying up. They just brought about like 80,000 of them back in from from uh, the Philippines. I got it. In, you know they're they're They they refurbish them, make them really nice, and they shoot well. Get back to the master class. What it is is there's sharpshooter, marksman, marksman sharpshooter, expert, master, and high master. And unfortunately, I quit. I kind of got out. of the, I got into a different discipline right after I got my master class, and then kind of got into the, the tactical type shooting because it was a lot more fun. Um, and basically, I, I enjoyed doing that more. So I stopped when I was a master class shooter.
0: Um, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So. Um I, I've never shot an actual competition, not a real competition, like amongst friends, obviously. But right, right. <clears throat> one of my goals for this year, and we'll see how that shapes up based on how things are going in the world right now. But I wanted to shoot a an actual uh, tactical, like like sanctioned course. That was something that I, I kind of marked off as a, a, a kind of a goal for me. But Keith had uh, – he did his first real competition. Uh, he did a 22-league over the winter and my question for you is for someone with your experience like what do you recommend for newer guys like what are things that we can do to kind of improve and 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 improve quickly i think is really what i'm looking for
2: for a beginner you're talking affordability ease of practice and the ability to shoot a lot so your steel matches your 22 steel matches that we run around the country there'll be 22 on steel they're usually 10 round strings you can be shot with like a if you're shooting pistol, you can shoot them with a Ruger Mark IV, excellent pistol. Uh, you, you know, when I have is a tactical, so I, I've got a suppressor on it and a little red dot sight. And um, I mean, literally, I've I've hit things at 100 yards with a 22 offhand with it, excellent <laughs> pistol. Wow! But you're shooting steel, which are bigger targets, and it's on time. Time versus what they call Comstock scoring. Scoring. So if you get 10 targets hit 10 times. Uh, you have zero penalties and you get your flat time. If you miss a target, uh usually your penalty is added.
0: So it sounds like the way to get better is to shoot something that's fairly inexpensive and shoot it a lot. <laughs>
1: there you go. That's well and there's and there's all kinds of different competitions. I mean my oh, yes. the, the one that I did was a little bit different. It was all offhand and only at twenty five yards, but they were really small targets and um you know, you had to uh um it, it was a scored competition, so the maximum points you could get is 200 points. And I think my best night, I was 188. And I think the highest in the league that year, this year, past year,
2: was maybe 196 or 197. Um, so there's all different time, kinds of right. competition. You were shooting a bullseye type thing. And yes. that's the old traditional and that, that type of tar- that type of shooting – was is national match too. And they were shooting with 22. Normally when you if you shot pistol, you shot a 22 guys would go out to camp Perry and they would have their 22 matches. And then they would shoot what they call the hardball matches, which was with a 45 with ball ammunition. And they shot that. And then they had an open match, which was like tuned up pistols or a, a revolver. So you shot four or five different divisions and uh, you know, in the pistol league and they were all at 25 yards. You had a slow fire, uh timed rapid fire you know that type of thing mike if you don't mind can i
1: ask uh um, rick one other question about another competition that i'm, of I'm course, kind of yeah.
0: interested of course yeah
1: what what have, there's some national trap competitions can you tell me a little bit about what those have got
2: going on i i'm trying to get into trap a little bit more trap again is excellent it, it's it's one of those sports as they say the, the sport of kings um you can get in and enjoy it and having a good time. And then also you have what they call is is your uh, your um, uh, your um, classification. What you, it is, is, you start out with E-class. Yeah, well,
1: how, how many do you have to shoot before you get classified? Is usually you have
2: to shoot. What they usually do is they usually shoot, uh, depending, I can't remember, but I think it's in you have to have sh- what they call four registered shoots. That means okay. – it's basically a regular match. You just can't go out and shoot, you know, yep. 400 rounds on the weekend. It has to be a registered shoot. And what you want to do is if you you practice and, you know, have, the, then you first register shoot, most guys will tell you, including one of my mentors, which was Ed Calhoun, was in the 1964, I believe, is Cairo Olympics. He was a gold medalist. He shot. He taught me how to shoot trap or skeet, and he was a World War Two aerial gunner instructor in the Army, so he had a little bit of experience. I was going to say, he's um, probably pretty good at it. Yeah, he could do things that just, you wish you could do. Um, basically, what, whenever you're shooting the young, you're starting out, your first couple matches that you're register, you always have to seem like you have beginner's luck or, or the tension. You're on the mark. What happens is you're an E-class shooter five days of the week, and the day of the match, you're a C-class shooter. <laughs> for the first three matches. And then after that, you just seem like you go to a F class shooter forever that. So we used to tell, tell the young shooters to hate to say it, but sandbag. Uh you shoot what you can. I mean, if you're if you're breaking 25 straight and you can usually only break twenty twenty out of twenty-five, um, relax a little bit because the last yeah. thing you want to do is is come out there and go, Congratulations, you're a C class shooter. And you're going, I've never shot C class in my life. And the next seven seven months you're trying to get back there and it's not yeah you know, you're not right because then you're competing the whole idea of the classifications is you're competing with your peers right so
0: right so, so you've gotten yourself into a whole pickle because now so, you're shooting with guys that are way outclassing you is what you're right. saying. So I'm
1: like this is perfect for you you won't be shooting with me
0: anyway <laughs> no yeah. way we're shooting together especially if we're shooting birds yeah. um so, you That's know, funny. Keith's bringing Keith's bringing up trap, but you know, I'm I'm a little bit the opposite. I really like the practical end, so I kind of like uh, like tactical. And I was looking to do, and it was it USPSA, where like everything has to be done from like you have to go from behind cover, concealment, you have to draw from a from a uh, holster. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Uh, they they those that started out from the tactical shooters and ESP USPSA, USPSA is U.S. Practical Shooters Association. And they will certain certain things like like they'll have limitations on round count. They're all that type of thing. What holster you can wear? Um, there's also I, th- I think it was IPDA, I- I- International Practical Defense Pistol, I think it is. And that you're like they'll break it down. If you're carrying a 1911, you can carry like 21 round or you know, 21 rounds or whatever. Um, if you're carrying like a, a double, you know, a double stack, you can, your magazines are limited to ten. Things like. Uh, I I've shot that before, but being a law enforcement officer, um, I was doing things tactically by our tactical rules that violated their procedures. So I got what they call procedural penalties. Like I, if I was moving from behind cover and I had two rounds left in a magazine, I was dropping the magazine because we teach you that you don't move from behind cover with partial magazines, you either save the magazine or whatever. And that was a no, no. We, we, we brought it say, Hey guys, I know you got to play the game to their rules, So the biggest thing to do is you can go online and most – I would start out – they're going to start you out a low class, you know, like you know, an introduction class type thing. Um, The international – IPDA is good because it's handgun and it's a lot of tactical stuff and they they enforce the the barricade rules and, you know, the cover rules and things like that. So if you roll out from behind barricades and standing out in the middle, you're going to get – you're going to procedure, you know, penalty type things where you're going to get time added on. Um, But also – they are based on what you would carry on a daily daily uh daily operation or daily carry so you're not having to spend 80 you know 200 on a custom release holster you're carrying a holster that is that you carry every day your mag pouches and in fact uh, a lot of times they make you put a vest or a shirt over it because it's concealed type carry
0: Right, I've read that, but like they are, they do have some limitations. Like I know you can't do like appendix carry. There are certain rules they Those will are not for you do.
2: Those are for safety because yeah. if you do a ca- appendix carry, you're actually you're cross drawing. So when you pull the firearm out of your, you're breaking the 180 degree rule. Which that's that when you hear a 180 degree rule tonight, listen to that for all your shoot practical matches because that is going to be a common thread. The 180 degree rules is if you're standing like a sca- scarecrow where you are, put both hands out. Look to your left and right. You your muzzle must always be in front of your your your, your uh, yourself downrange. Right. So if you turn or you reholster and you turn in your holster, even though you're maybe pointing the ground, that that muzzle is going to flash back, and then that's going to disqualify you. And yeah. um, those are one of the, you know you break the 180 degree rule, depending on the range, that may be a, a match disqualification or a uh, a stage disqualification. Either as, one. know.
0: As well, it should be. I mean, obviously, the safety has to come first, but right, right. I, I totally agree with that. So, I mean, this this is, uh, I mean, awesome information because I really do want to run one of those courses at some point. But that kind of brings me to another, uh, another point, and you're someone who I would feel has a unique uh, experience to discuss this. So, you're currently a criminal investigator, um, and I was going to kind of ask this, are you actively in tactical operations? But basically, what I'm trying to ask is it, this Point in your career are you still a door kicker or are you more are you the brains behind the operation at this point
2: um i my job is kind of kind of different i do you ever seen james bond the q guy who yep. well okay. i do that but but i'm also the guy that, that has to go out there with you know if they if they we have a tactical team going in and, and there are technical op, tactical operations and technical operations that need to be going i'm out there loaded for bear i've gone in with with local SWAT teams because of the equipment I was carrying to locate a, a bad guy uh, I was in the first of the stack with a carbine full body armor helmet on when we found the guy I rolled, as they roll past I rolled to the back of the stack uh, so that you know they could do their job but I was still on the street and then on my, my our daily operations when we do uh when we do some of the other technical stuff we do um, i roll out we roll out ready for bear i'm I'm part of the security attachment well as doing the actual things we do so i i've got two hats so i'm carrying you know in these days i'm carrying you know a carbine full body armor and, and a full load of ammunition um the job i was doing you would think that it's pretty easy but about a year and a half ago i almost almost shot a guy trying to steal our vehicles because uh you know he would not comply you know so came very close.
0: Ni- neither of us thinks what you do is easy just <laughs> <out>. yeah
2: right <laughs>
0: um but i but so I, so I don't have the
2: balls
1: to do it
0: Yeah. So, I mean, really, Rick, you know, I don't really want to um, make you go past that disclaimer that we talked about earlier, but I just wanted to kind of get listeners to understand sort of where you're at. And that's, we really want to talk about tactics for the average armed citizen. And um, Keith and I each have a scenario that we want to run by you and kind of maybe give your input into how uh, a civilian could do tactics, but tactics for obviously the civilian and not the the law enforcement or military end. So my scenario is more of a home invasion scenario. Okay. Um, and the picture I'm going to paint is this. It's one that I run through my head and through my, my mind a lot in terms of what I would or wouldn't do. Uh, you live in a two-story home, colonial style. You're upstairs with your family, uh, wife and children all up in the same level. And your alarm goes off and you're woken up out of the night. You have a firearm at your side, could be a handgun, maybe a carbine uh, carbine close by. Um, what do you do next? What, okay. what should What should the average citizen do at this point? Well, the first
2: thing before that is that you should have a plan. and that's why I teach all my saying the plan is, oh my gosh, I run out and grab the kids, or do I have the kids come to me depending on their age? And if you are going to do, you know, if you have to retrieve the kids down the hall, who does it? Well, depends on your your, your area of aggress, which is the stairways. Uh do you take a position there uh holding that point, allow your wife and you know, to go retrieve the children, and then you go to your sanctuary. The sanctuary is pre planned. It's a place that, that I we have this plan. If something happens, uh it usually gives three or at least two two uh two forms of, of barricade could be two doors and it's your last place. It, it's numbered by doing that is you are moving to a place that you are non threatening to the invader. And if they decide to come into your sanctuary, you are fully justified in using, you know, a uh, lethal defense because the key word is I feared for the safety and lives of myself and my family so that, you know, that's your first plan. You've got, and you walk it through, talk to the people in the house. How is this going to work? Just like a fire escape. Do you have ladders that go out the windows? Are you going to retrieve the kids and go because your house is set up that probably the where the, the kitchen is, you can, they probably the fire won't be there. But if you do have a second story, you should have a, you know, a ladder type thing. So if you do that situation, your alarm goes off, you've planned well, your wife, you've gone to the head of the stairs, or the children are old enough. Oh, I've been woken up by the stairs. They come running to your room. You've retrieved your firearm and are now ready to go to your sanctuary. Uh, you know that's your your last line of defense. Um, the two two biggest things you will have is one, your firearm, but the most important thing is your your cell phone. You know you should have your cell phone by your bed, and you're calling nine one one immediately, getting in contact with local law enforcement. If you are a quick response area, such as a city. Fine. If you're in the county where it may take 40 minutes for a local, you know, state trooper out right there, you need to be a little bit more more planned out. So you basically can I stop
0: you for one second, Rick? Mm-hmm. So my my scenario where I'm at, my bedroom is at the top of the stairs. Okay. My wife and and I've had a false alarm happen. I we've run through a drill. Unfortunately, we we didn't know at the time it was a drill. And so what you're saying, and I think this is what I did, but I want to make sure. So what you're saying is once we've Activated nine one one and I've got my firearm. My wife to get my kids has to go down the hallway, past the stairway. So what you're saying is I should basically be covering the stairway armed. Yeah. Yes. And she should be going and she should be going to get the kids. And then once they're gone, then I can move my way to that sanctuary. Is that correct?
2: That's For two reasons. One, you're given cover for her for whatever may come at the bottom of the stairs, but two you are in constant. You're no further than arms' length from her when she goes out. So, if the worst case scenario comes in and she's down there rousing the children up, and now the threat appears at the stairways, you can have a backup plan. You move to the children in their rooms. Right. So you don't want to be standing in the in the in the uh, the bedroom going, "Okay, where is she?" And now you've got an intruder between you and your family, which is not a good situation to start with, but if you must engage him, you now don't know about your backstop and, and innocence in between you and your line of fire. So you want to basically keep the keep the keep the tribe together.
0: Yeah. Can you can you give a little I mean obviously over penetration is always a concern, but what do you recommend? In other words, is uh two two three less penetrating than nine millimeter? Like what do you recommend in terms of uh, uh ballistic ballistics wise, what round would you recommend for in the home?
2: Well In the home, it depends on what your home's made like and also your neighbors. But if you're worrying about over-penetration, the key is, you know, if if you're shooting FBI-type ammunition, which would be like a 62-grain, you know, uh, bonded bullet, and you connect— You know, it shouldn't be over-penetrating. If it does, it's not going to go. If you miss, I don't know of any round in the the market that's that's suitable for defense that's going to be stopped by drywall and aluminum or plastic siding. So that's a risk you must take. And by the same token, if you're, you know, if you're in a department, buckshot or number, you know, I always tell people that, you know, number four buckshot or even number four goose loads, in a in a shotgun down a hallway is very very effective. I'd stay away from number 7 bird shot because uh you know it just doesn't have the de- deep penetration. Um but any of the any you know you got to worry about stopping the threat prior to to stopping worrying about the over penetration. Now the same right token right. is, you know, if you are shooting a, a four fifty eight casole and it goes through him, the outside of the, the the house out through and hit, penetrates the Chevy and then goes into the neighbor's yard, you know you got a problem.
0: Is it fair to say that a two two three? So we're talking. Let's let's just say AR fifteen two two three mm-hmm. round will break up quicker than like a ball, like not ball round, sorry, like, than a hollow point nine millimeter or forty five. i've always thought that to be true but i would like i
2: I used to equate i equate that to i tell people i said if you got a a slow moving bulldozer going down down the road or down down the uh, alleyway and there's a brick wall the bulldozers are going to knock the the wall down and keep going whereas you got a guy on a ninja bike going 150 miles an hour hits the (laughs) wall the wall is coming down but there's not gonna be left much left of the ninja or anything else that's a great great analogy
0: and Keith um, carries a bulldozer, just so we all know. <laughs> yeah, I did okay. carry a bulldozer.
2: Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of things I've killed, and I've killed things with everything. Um, I, I killed a deer at 160 yards with a 40 Smith and Wesson uh, um, spear gold dot, and it went clean through its neck at 160 yards and dropped it where it stood. So um, it's just a matter. Of, but I, you have to worry about. I matter in fact, one of our firearms instructors. We were shooting out. We were, out, I was, we were running range. And I put a steel plate up at 100 yards, and I said, hey, I'll bet you a six-pack of pop who, whoever hit that first. So I was trying to get rid of some some older beer. And <laughs> no, nobody hit it, and I went to commencing to ring the 10-inch plate like 10 times – and the guy looked at me. He goes, "You know, you, you know, I, I don't like shooting bullseye." He's like, "Well, it's just a different kind of shoot." So we went down range to make the story. You
0: kept your beer, Rick. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, we went down range, and the two by four that the, uh, the 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 steel plate was hung on was totally perforated. I mean, from top to bottom, because they were shooting low, good windage, no elevation, and he couldn't believe the bullet, the, the two by four at 100 yards had been penetrated by both nine millimeter and 40 what we were shooting. Yeah, and I was crazy. like, well, "Well, there, there's a." guys there's 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 a wake-up call if you yeah. got a bad guy shooting down the street at you with a nine millimeter and in a hundred yards you're thinking well he can't do anything uh bad bad judgment bad judgment if he gets, luck, if he gets lucky yeah we call that bad guy luck uh, <laughs> uh that's usually what happens if one guy slings a, a 25 auto over the over his shoulder as he's running away and hits the, the pursuing officer between the eyes and kills him
0: funny or, how that works yeah so yeah. Rick, one last question about my home invasion scenario, and then I'm going to let uh, Keith move mm-hmm. on to his scenario. So is there ever a time and I, and I have a scenario in my mind, but is there ever a time I know it's not advisable, but where you would or should consider clearing the house? And I know no. that that brings in training and stuff, but no? no.
2: no, Not if you have law enforcement coming and you're in contact with law enforcement, two reasons. One, you don't know what's down there. Right. Two, you have no backup. And three, you are leaving the most precious thing in your life behind to fend for themselves. Maybe your wife's got a got a shotgun and she's ready. And now you've put five hundred more, you've elevated her stress level by five hundred. And say so you do walk back up the stairs and it was a raccoon that broke in the kitchen, you don't realize it, and she freaks out and maybe lets you have it because you're she's excited. Yeah, that's Not, a
0: great that's a great point. I, the only the – only, I have unfortunately broken my own rule and I have quote-unquote cleared my house. But it was uh, – si- the situation was the alarm went off and I was really certain that it was a false alarm. Um, but I probably shouldn't have done it. It's – for people out there listening, I probably shouldn't have done it. Well, you know,
2: again, it's, it's a – So judgment. what do you do? What do you do? You wait until the police come and – Well, and, if, and- if you there, – there's there's elevation. There's there's levels of threat that you can – that you your senses can hear. If your alarm goes off and you're sitting upstairs and you don't hear any noise because usually burglars are not or you know home invaders are usually not that quiet, especially if you have an audible alarm. If you have an audible alarm and and it's screeching and they're either not breaking windows to get back out or advancing to do you harm, uh, and you don't hear anything after four or five minutes. You could probably safely go down and go, it's not anybody there. Most bad guys are not going to stay in the house and go, I'll ambush the, the house uh, owner when he comes down. Um, if you hear the alarm go off and you hear breaking or moving or someone clutting around downstairs, you definitely know there's an unknown subject in the house. Right. No reason to go and, and clear. it. You, you cleared as far as you need to go. You've got your children. You've got your bedroom. That's all the safe place you need to clear. You do not need to enter a danger zone that you don't know about. Let the police officers go and do that. And by the way, when you talk to 911, you inform that you are where your location is. You will stay on the 911 with them and you are armed so that they know that you're up there and we stay in contact and follow their commands as in. All right. We're in the back bedroom. All right. The house has been cleared. All right. Please come down and you'll tell them you will leave your firearms upstairs because police are nervous too. There are people too. I don't care how much training they have. That's,
0: that's exactly what happened when it happened to me. Exact Word for word. Exactly. They told me, come on down. I peeked out of the room. I left. They told me to leave the firearm. I left the firearm. I came down. I opened it. And then I, they had me walk them through the house. And that's exactly, you, you, you can just tell that the tactics that fire, that, uh, excuse me, that law enforcement uses, are you know? You guys know what you're doing because I mean, you're speaking the language that happened to me word for word. So, thank you so much for that uh, that uh, education. Uh, it was excellent, and uh, I don't want to take too much uh, out of Keith's scenario. So, Keith, why don't you uh, give it a shot? Well,
1: thank you. Um, my my, sh- my scenario, uh, Rick, is um is the is the scenario that kind of made me decide to to be a uh, a concealed carry. Uh, Holder, and that that was uh, it was not long after my first child was born, and uh, I, I was coming out. It, it was wintertime, and it was dark, but not late. I don't want to give the impression that I was out anywhere late with a, with a with an infant. Um, but uh, I Sometimes. yeah, exactly. And and in in this particular case, like I said, it was winter, and it was uh, you know it was late early, dark early. I apologize. And I was coming out to my car, and and I could I I could tell someone was following me. And I, you know, caught them in the back, you know, corner of my peripheral vision a couple of times and they followed me all the way to my car and they asked me, um, you know, if they could borrow some money. And, of course, you know, I said no at the time and kind of, you know, forcefully, you know, raised my voice loud enough so he knew I wasn't excited about him being that close to me. And he did move off. But I often think about what if that wasn't that way. I mean, now I carry,
2: but still, you know, what's the best situation to handle that? Well... If you're in a situation at night and you're moving to your car, that car is, if you could got the electronic lock and you can get in the car and get away from there, that's your first line of defense. But say you're moving and you've got your infant on your hands and he's following you close by, that car is a 2,000-pound barricade. Use that as your, put that between him and you. Distance is your friend. Time is your friend. If you have distance, you have time to react. If you don't have distance, then you probably won't have time to react if he closes that distance with you and becomes a, a, a true threat. So you move to the far side of the car. Uh, if you got an infant in your hand, unfortunately, you may have to put the child on the ground, you know, and take an offensive, you know, defensive ball sense and stance, which is sometimes, you know, taking your jacket back, not drawing your firearm, and I carry – a secondary flashlight all the time. There's a saying, if you have, and we all, and I, because I work at night, all my firearms have lights on them. And I'll talk about that going back to the toys versus tools, what you, what you've got to have on your firearms if you're, you know, even in the house. But there's a saying, if you have one flashlight, you have no flashlights because guarantee the batteries will be dead. So even though I carry a flashlight, a weapons mounted light on my, my firearm all the time, so I have a secondary light. Uh, you, that flashlight especially if it's a high quality Surefire or one of the other you know numerous tactical lights with the you know the new LED beams um, you draw that and you put it in his in his face and you tell, and that number one stuns him establishes the uh, you know where he is and what he's got in his hands and also takes him off and also now he can't see you he can't right. see your hands he can't do anything. then you are now instead of defense you're in the offensive position and you can give commands from behind the car. You can see what he's doing. A flashlight is a very effective intermediate is there a point in time where you where you tell him you're armed and no you know no um, you give him commands to step away. You don't want him in the area. Um, you can even say I've called 911 or my wife's calling 911 or whatever. Yep. But don't tell him
0: that you are armed. You're giving, away, uh, you're giving away your tactical advantage at that point, right?
2: Correct? Unfortunately, if it becomes the point where that you are, again going back, that you fear for your life, for your family's safety, the next, the ne- there are no warning shots. You know, if right. if he draws a weapon or a men- menaces on you, and you right. feel like he is going to do your bodily harm, the next step will be lethal force, and he you don't he doesn't need any warning about it. Right. You know, if you know because one thing. You know, in this day and age, you know, he pulls, and by the way, if you do, must pull, he, you draw your weapon, he's coming, and he stops and runs away. Immediately get on the, the phone to 911, tell us what has happened, because the first guy with the call in is the victim. So he can call in and say, a guy just pulled a gun on me, I wasn't doing nothing. Now you get right. a police officer. Okay. okay. Right.
0: Could I go, so, Rick, can I go back to the flashlight really quick? Because yeah. I've, I don't carry, um, a secondary flashlight, but it's something that I've debated. I found a couple of fairly inexpensive, very small ones. I carry okay. a knife on me at all times. Okay. I carry a gun on me very often, mm-hmm. but I don't carry. I know some guys carry tourniquets and some guy, but at what point do you become Batman where you're carrying yeah. a bat belt? Like, how do you <laughs> manage that in your? Because I, I struggle with that. I want to carry a flashlight. I want to carry. But at some point, it becomes difficult. You How become, do you recommend? What, what well, do you
1: say, Mike? You become the five one one.
0: Yeah, the five one one bandit, right? Apparel, like,
1: uh, apparel a citizen.
0: Right.
2: Well, it, well, we walk around like you at work, Rick. Yeah, well, to start to start with your fire, let's start right there. Um, if you if your firearm is equipped with a light, I recommend like a Surefire that has a strobe on it. You know, it da- dazzles people and things like that if you got to pull it out. At the same time, you know, your your intention on pulling the trigger on somebody doesn't mean you have to pull it. But when you put, you're not pulling out the branch and go, look what I got. You're pulling it, you're you're, you're, you're the little switch man that says, I'm going to use deadly force. It is now up to the perpetrator to decide that final trip point. So if he pulls up like, you know, Felix the Cat and says, whoa, then you don't have to shoot him. By using that flashlight, stunning him, maybe gives you a second. So I carry a flashlight on my, on my firearms all the time. Again, because I work at night, but I also carry a second magazine. No matter what, always a, a second reload, especially if you've got a semi-automatic gun. The guy says, "Well, God, I've got 17 rounds in my pistol." You're depending your life on the cheapest part of that firearm to work every time. It's a seven, say a forty-dollar magazine that you're you. You just let
0: everybody on this radio on this show know that you do not live in New York, by the way. Yes.
2: Well, <laughs> uh, well do, doing what I do, I would carry it anyway. Uh, yeah, I don't care. That's uh, true. But you carry a second magazine because if you take your first shot and all of a sudden your, your weapons malfunctions and your threat is still there and all of a sudden you realize you have a bad magazine, not a good time. At least you've got a secondary. You, you back your magazine up.
0: But I guess what I'm asking is how do you manage it all? What I right. mean is
2: I pick the smallest light that gives me the greatest illumination i carry a little surefire it's a two cell a matter of fact it, it's it's a two cell uh plastic one it goes in my side cargo pocket and it's there all the time and i because i do what i do my regular job i'm always looking at wiring and all kinds of stuff so it's kind of an important thing to have in your pocket you carry uh i carry a pocket knife a flashlight the magazine and, and, and two guns and i get and i get used to it you know and that's just it you get used to it it, it you know, the, the weight, but you keep it to a minimum, I, you know, tourniquets and all this other doodads, handcuffs and, you know, ass that's, you don't need that. You're either going to fight or flight, you know? And if, like I said, you're not pulling your firearm until deadly force. And then, then it's, then it's, you're not brandishing it. You know, the flashlight is your, is, is your primary in a knife. It's a tool. Um, I don't go to, you know, I'm not going to a gunfight with a knife. That knife there is, is if I, if I got to pull that out, it's because, you know, Jack the, the beanstalk slayers come down and I'm, I'm really in trouble now. Admittedly, uh, Mike only uses it to open Amazon boxes. That's you know, it. My wife has right.
0: the open Amazon boxes.
2: Yeah, I, I peel oranges with mine. So, you know, of course, I'm <laughs> to eat, cause they know what else I've peeled with it too. So <laughs> I mean, that's one of the problems growing up in the country, you use your knife for everything. But yep. the flashlight, if you had to dump between your pocket knife and the flashlight, I, I dumped that tactical pocket knife because realistically and go with a little teeny cheap you know a swiss army knife that's got a you know your nail files and the little teeny blade on it because you can still open amazon boxes and do whatever you <laughs> want with it that's but fair that light is more important because say you go to your parking garage and all of a sudden it's three you know you've been at work or whatever and your job and all of a sudden three in the morning ah oh crap you know the power and the light all the lights in the parking garage are out you know, if nothing else, safety. You don't you don't get you don't have to step on a rat or or broken glass. You've got that flashlight. If you've got a job that works from nine to five and never, you know, never go in the dark and you're one of these kind of people that you know is afraid of vampires, you don't go out at night, then you don't need a flashlight. But most of us, unfortunately, have things to do at night. Everything from we're broke down on the side of the road to I dropped my my uh my my plum and it rolled under the table and I have to find it. The flashlight is probably the most important tool I carry.
0: Yeah. Now, I mean, nowadays I was going to say, you know, your cell phone has a lot of these things on them. They have, it has a watch has an alarm clock. It has a flashlight, but truthfully, I can't tell you how many times my phone is dead. And then the flashlight
2: and and and, and how often, you know, there's one control on a flashlight, uh, my wife's got the flashlight on the on the on the on the cell phone and she uh, and I'm like trying to it's like launching the, the space shuttle. I can't. Find
1: <laughs> it takes but, you 10 minutes to turn it on. You've already. That's true. Problem.
2: Yeah. Uh, you need something. Again, there's a saying fine motor skills, gross motor skills. And I tell people there's two little men live in your mind. The big guy who grunts and, and uses the five pound sledgehammer to drive a a, a, a thumbtack and the little guy that plans it on, has all the plans and then thread a needle. And in the middle of a of a high stress situation, the little guy, while still wanting to be there, gets stepped on by the big guy, and now he's got the the solution is the five pound sledgehammer. That's unfortunate how how our
0: minds work. That's a um, great way to put it. I mean, that's a that's a I've heard that before. You know, I know like when you do a lot of firearms drills, a lot of it's gross motor skills that you try to like uh, embed. But that's a great way to put it. Um, and. I don't know, Keith. How do you feel? I mean, like I feel like this kind of uh, enlightens me a little bit in terms of both these scenarios, right?
1: Definitely, I I feel uh, uh, d- more informed about it, and I, I I can't. I've gone over that scenario many many times in my head, and and gone it, it the way that uh, Rick has described it, and and others. You know, not necessarily with a, f- a flashlight per se, but you know, I mean, I thought about putting my kid in the car and 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 then staying back outside chasing the guy away. I, you know, who knows, but definitely the way he described it makes me feel a little more confident in that situation if it ever happened yeah, again
2: yeah well, i agree also also if you do use that car for cover there says nothing it says you can't open the door on, on the side you're on put you know safely put your child on the floor of the car and now you've got the you know, you've got the you know the advantage of using both hands he's in somewhat cover he's in a controlled place in other words the, the passenger compartment of the car and now you can deal with the threat a little bit more effectively Nice. So,
0: so, Rick, we have a tradition on this show. Uh, it's called Run and Gun, and it's a little game we like to play, uh, and I was hoping you'd play with us.
2: It sounds, let's see what it sounds like.
0: All right. So I'm going to ask you 10 questions, and they're in rapid-fire succession. So you, I'm going to ask you, and you're going to give me the first answer that comes to your mind. Sound good? Sounds like a plan. All right. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection?
2: My Sig 229.
0: What gun would you buy if money was no object?
2: That would be a custom-made uh, 6.5 uh, with a uh, uh, custom action.
0: So that's for long-range shooting, correct? Oh, yes. If you could have a drink with one person, living or dead, who would it be?
2: Um, George Patton.
0: Favorite caliber? Be 308. Favorite hobby, not gun-related?
2: Probably bass fishing.
0: If you could have one superpower, what would it be? To heal. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? <sighs> well,
2: Great if question armed, yeah, well if you're armed for you. if you're armed, you're trained. You better be armed if you're armed, you better be trained. Boy, I like that.
0: Yep, I like it. Uh is it better to be loved or feared? Feared. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun.
2: Oh, rifle, definitely.
0: You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse?
2: That would be uh one of my old partners. Uh he we had many, many I don't want to say his name, but he he and I've been through thick and thin. Yeah, uh, he, he knows who he is. Yeah, he's yeah, he definitely guy. knows who he is. He's a big guy and he's you know, uh he almost he's a big martial arts guy. We we took a guy down and I the comment I heard saying after I found the guy. I swear to God, he said this. He said, "Rick, you, uh, you said if you move, there'll be a smoking gut pile where you stand." And the next thing I knew, there was a blue flash, and my partner had snatched this guy and put him into a pretzel. So, uh,
0: <laughs> good guy, good guy, to have your back, no doubt about it. Yeah, he was.
2: Let's mix it up.
0: We're gonna talk a little bit about the Supreme Court. So, I want to do a quick timeline. And then after I give this quick timeline, and it's a it's a very uh, it's a brief synopsis. Then we're going to talk about uh, what's going on with the Supreme Court right now. So, and Rick, you can correct me on anything that I say that's wrong because I'm sure you know this stuff better than I do. But I'm going to do my best. So, in 2008, uh, the Supreme Court case D.C. versus Heller came down, and it basically said that the Second Amendment protects uh, the rights of the individual to keep and bear arms. And that it is unconnected with service in the militia. That was the basic ruling. But it also said that it was not unlimited; that there there could be limitations placed on the Second Amendment, and that uh, it did protect guns that were in common use. That that's the summation of of the things that I feel are relevant for what we're about to talk to. Uh, anything that I missed there, Rick? That you, anything? You um, I add?
2: think in Washington D.C., they basically put a limitation on on the into the individual's home because that was the big thing about carry conceal. They basically said, yes, you can own a firearm in D.C., but it, it, it all doesn't extend past your home. That was one of the, the sticking parts. That's
0: correct, big... because that's one of the things that now is becoming a sticking point because of that. So, yes, thank you for adding that. Okay. So now fast forward to roughly 2019, and we have a case, first major case that the Supreme Court is going to see in over a decade, New York City versus NYSERPA, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. Keith and I live in New York, so this is something that hits close to home. New York City will not allow people to transport permitted guns outside of New York City, which I've always thought is ridiculous. Basically, someone could have a summer home in upstate New York. They are not allowed to bring their firearm with them. I have a cousin who lives in New York City. I said, hey, come on up. Bring your gun. We'll go shoot. I can't. I'm not allowed to. So that's the basic gist of it. Um, I, I, I
2: thought that that they, they changed that law and it was dropped. And that So was- that's...
0: Yep, I'm going there. I'm going there. Okay. So New York City concedes. New York City says, "No, no, we'll change the law. We'll, we'll, we'll change it. That's 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 fine." And it still goes to the Supreme Court, but the the Supreme Court decides January nineteen, uh, January two thousand nineteen, that the case is moot. Okay, so this first major case before the Supreme Court in a decade, and this is what happens. So now there's ten. Cases that are being reviewed by the Supreme Court right now. I'm not going to go over all 10, but there's three I'm going to highlight. The first one, Warman versus Healy. It's basically an assault weapons ban and high cap mag ban uh, case out of Massachusetts. Second one, Wilson versus Cook County. Uh, Basically says or is uh, arguing that uh, the local government cannot ban firearms in common use, which I bring up because it goes back to Heller. And are not considered dangerous and unusual. And I think the big one here would be an AR-15 uh, if I'm reading between the lines. And then the last one is, and I'm going to botch this up, silhouette versus New Jersey. And basically it is saying uh, that New Jersey is requiring justifiable need to get a pistol permit. And essentially, it is impossible to get a pistol permit in New Jersey because nobody can seem to justify their need. So those are three cases that I just think are kind of uh, interesting and important. And coming from a state where we are not allowed to have a lot, I'm waiting for the Supreme Court to step in and decide this. Rick, what do you think? I mean, do you think that are they going to take up any of these cases? I mean, you know more. You've forgotten more about guns than Keith and I probably yeah, know. Right. So, I mean, like, what do you think? What is your take on this?
2: Unfortunately, and, and this is just my feeling, I, we have we have a cowardice judiciary in, in too many of the Republican appointed judges um, for one thing it goes back to even the cases with, you know, Roe versus Wade with the decision. It was Roe versus Wade was passed. And and the, the jurors uh, comments were, I did not want to make a decision that would be unpopular. That is what we have with so many things. They decide not to to take them. They need the sixth juror to be appointed so that they will have an over outstanding majority. Uh, Because, they realize that if they take the one Jenga block out, which is the, you cannot uh, forbid someone who own a particular type of firearm because it's protected by the second amendment. You basically go through over two dozen States and destroy their entire gun control system. Uh, That is a major, major type ruling. Um, As far as if they're going to hear them, what they're going to rule on them. Uh, I don't know because this this current this this, uh, this Supreme Court, um, they really are you know, unpredictable. They really are between uh, the, the, the 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 head head uh, juror, um, Rob Roberts, yeah, you know, Roberts. His name's my name. Uh, I don't know about him, but if Ginsburg retires, which um, something about liberals that don't ever want to retire; they cannot give up the the, the grace gracefully. Um, <laughs> that and and if if, pre, if the president decides and puts someone who's outstandingly strong, um, then I think I think it will be a spell of doom for many many of these state laws that are obviously unconstitutional. I mean, you know, you know, it, it's not even going to the to the National Firearms Act where you can even bend the, bend the, uh, you know, the ju- the ju- you know, the justification for it. You're talking a, a firearm that's mechanically, you know, same as any hunting rifle or, or semi-automatic trap shotgun. Uh, but it looks different. And basically that's about it. You know, Rick,
0: I, yeah. I want to ask you a question. It's completely a tangent. And I don't, so I don't want to go into, I just want you to give me a yes or no answer to this. Are you okay? You're in law enforcement. Are you okay with a responsible citizen-owning plate carriers, ballistic plates. You're okay with that? Yes, I am. The, The reason I ask that is because, and I don't want to go on a tangent about this, but that's something like I have friends that are, they're like, oh, you can have your gun, but they would look at that as like, what are you, crazy? Like, why do you need that? And I say it's a defensive tool. It's not even offensive. It's defensive. But there's something about, they think citizens can't be responsible enough to own certain things. And yeah, my favorite include- is suppressor.
1: I mean, we we you know I know we're gonna you know, talk about that at some point. I think, but um, you know, the the idea that something that makes shooting more enjoyable is going to make me more likely to commit a crime, like it, it's it's nonsense.
2: The well, some the, of the, I, other- the idea that you're going to keep something anything. Any object, any material out of a criminal's hands by making it unaccessible to the to honest yeah, citizens is pure folly. I mean, we've been doing that since you know, I mean, the war on drugs, and I there's no shortage of heroin or you know, any of that you know, illicit material on, on the streets. Um, I routinely, you know, when I was doing in straight Dragon Force, routine, routinely would seize full automatic weapons, uh, from individuals, and they were not converted, they were not. You know, registered. They were black market full automatic weapons
1: where they came from. Rick, do you think do you think it's because that, you know, with these mass shootings and things like there were are some cases, not all, but some cases where, you know, they were legal gun owners and, and the mental you know, stability of them is what
2: caused the problem. So so they think that by taking these things away, that mass shootings will stop. Well, if you are going to do that, you better take everybody's chicken, kitchen knives, axes, and cars away from them, because we've seen in the past few weeks people taking uh, sledgehammers and crowbars and sure. driving cars into crowds. <laughs> Magical and bricks appear out of nowhere, right? <laughs> right. So, so if you judge the the freedoms and rights and liberties of what the free man shall have by what the criminal does, we're going to be in a police state, which is we don't want that because free men don't act react very well to being put under the boot of government, as we see in many places such as the beaches of New Jersey and Maryland and and go go back and uh, read some uh, history about some uh, American revolution.
0: Well, I I always, Rick, I always find you interesting because um, conversations I've had with you in the past, you're law enforcement, but I've, I've met some pretty pro citizen, pro second amendment law enforcement, but you honestly take the cake. And the reason I say that is there's a lot of law enforcement that, if it came down to their pension or someone's rights, they're going to choose their pension. And I don't blame them. I'm going to put that – I do not blame them. Their career is their livelihood. But it's a shame that the people in power – and I don't mean the law enforcement officer, but the people that are their bosses – are willing to put law enforcement in a position where they would violate their constitutional oath in order to keep their livelihood. And you're someone who you always speak the same you know, you're, you're always the same. You're, you're reliable in terms of the fact that you support the Second Amendment. I want to thank you for that because it, it's refreshing, you know, and thank, thank you for keeping that stance.
2: Well, you, there, there's a big difference between the servants of the people and when the person you talked about and you said one word, power. The average policeman doesn't want power. He wants to go to work, make sure the community is safe and come home. He doesn't look for ways to take away people's rights. And, you know, quite honest, it's it's not worth it. Um, but politicians—they're in store for the power. They always have been. It's you know if you look at both sides, you get people on both sides. But if you look at the mayors and, and governors of these states that are on fire, um, why do you think they're letting their, their their cities be burned down? Because there's power to be gained by it. What was—is
1: it Seattle? The the uh, uh, elected official opened the doors with with yes. city
2: issued keys. Yes. <laughs> this, I mean, it is it. Well, you know, also, also, you know, when you have your uh, you have radical beliefs and those people are elected by the masses and they they get in there and they do violate their oath of of the office and the Constitution and they're not held accountable and they haven't been held accountable for 80 years now uh, for things such as that. I mean, go back to the 1986 Firearms Protection Act where I watched I watched the vote, and that was the vote where they decided that we will not have any more legally registered or manufactured NFA machine guns. Now, you would say, well, that's a great thing. You understand that the only way you can get one of these, these firearms is to go through the background check, pay the tax, be inspected, be subject to, to the uh, the uh, ATF's you know, regulations, and there's only been one recorded crime ever committed with it with a legally registered NFA item. Um, and that, I believe that was a police officer shot his wife with an AC 55. Um, you know, that could have been a brick. It could have been a kitchen knife or whatever it was. It just hadn't be the item he picked. But the law has been in act since 1934 and there's been one violation crime ever committed with a legally registered NFA item or machine gun. So we can't say that. We can't say that with cars. We can't say that with legally purchased knives we can't say that with any legally purchased, item, but the Congress decided, and by the way, it was not – if you watch, go back and, and, and look at the vote. Uh, the vote did not pass, but at the time, the Speaker of the House said – slammed his gavel and said the vote has passed, and they made it into law.
0: Rick, you brought up uh, the politicians and that, they're, that power is something the politicians crave. Um, so I want to go back to the Supreme Court and – You know, that's why they have a lifetime appointment. They have a lifetime appointment so they are not at the whim of politics. So I'm actually going to just let's give let's do a one word. Keith, I'll start with you. Does the Supreme Court at some point have to take up an assault weapons ban case? Do you see that happening at some point? Does it have to happen? Yeah. Okay, Rick, what do you think? At some point, do you see this as something that just it's going to be a showdown and inevitable at some point?
2: I do believe I, I, I just just like D-Day, we weren't ready for D-Day in 1942, but 1944 we had that we had the forces and and stuff massed I think we may have to wait till we have the forces of that of that seventh or sixth juror that can basically, uh, you know, tell the other three jurors that, you know, they're wrong and you better vote for us.
0: Yeah. And I want to go clean sweep here. I think that, Keith, you brought up um, mass shootings and I think at some point it's going to get ugly enough where the sides are just so opposite they already are that somebody has to step in and make the decision because it it it, can't keep going where one state is one way and one state's another because it's just not working
1: i'm just always, you know we've talked about this a few times and and i think that this is just where we're at today in society there is no there is no discussion it's it's you're on my side you're not on my side And it doesn't matter what side you're on. Everybody feels that way. I mean, I'm not gonna. I I, I don't feel that way. I I don't react that way, Mike. I know you don't. Rick, you don't seem like the type of guy that does that either. You know, you got to have a conversation. But at the end of the day, you got to look at the numbers. You got to look at the, um, you you know, the reality of how many people are in this country and law-abiding gun owners and do good things. And and it's it's not all bad. You know what I mean? But at some
0: point, Keith, you get tired of wanting the discussion and at some point like I'm at the point now where I want results I I don't want want
1: and I and and I I probably said that wrong I guess I didn't finish my thought really Mike thank you the discussion has to happen and then a decision has to be made and then whatever whatever it is it is I mean obviously I think that we're on the right side of the of what the decision should be made but once it's made it's made and and then we got to move on it's time for Top Gear let us test it Before
2: you invest it.
0: All right. So today on Top Gear, uh, we're going to review a couple items. And uh, Keith was actually uh, kind enough to sort of uh, pass the baton and let Rick uh, do one. Uh, We're going to do a couple of thorough reviews here. So I'm going to start off. uh, And I'm reviewing today. uh, It's a micro red dot from Primary Arms. So it's Primary Arms Advanced Micro Red Dot is the actual name of it. It's very similar in size and function to the Aimpoint Micro T2, um, but a very big difference in the price. Mm -hmm. Um, Much like that Aimpoint, uh, it has a 50,000-hour battery life, which basically on a low setting, uh, you could leave that on 24-7 for years, um, and it's ready to grab and go. It's one of the reasons I bought it. Um, I could not afford an Aimpoint at the time, but I did want something that I could put on a home defense rifle. It has 12 brightness settings and a two MOA red dot. It's waterproof and fog proof. Keith, don't get too excited. It comes with a bikini cover.
1: Color matching, I hope.
0: <laughs> Yellow polka dot, I heard. Um, and uh, it's $150. It comes with a three-year warranty. With all that said, it is accurate. I do not recommend it. Um, and I say that... I, I have it. It's on my because rifle. Because you tried I,
1: my aim point and you were in love.
0: I do like your aim point, and I actually just uh, shot a Holosun and I really like that. But let me let me kind of tell you why I don't recommend this. Um, I think it's for the for the the value you get for the money. I think it's fine, um, but I had it off. It was not on. So I was not using those 50,000 hours. It was off because I was not really using that rifle as a home defense. There was really no reason to keep it on. And one day I went to go grab it and go to the range and it was not working. I called the company. It was within the warranty period. They said, yeah, sometimes, you know, we've had a couple of times where this something, something goes and it makes a premature battery life. And I don't like that. I'm sorry like if you if you're going to tell me this thing is something that I can trust and I want to trust it um it it is pretty accurate the other part is I have an astigmatism and a lot of the red dots have like that that flare that sunburst and this one is bad I mean that sun that I shot recently was nowhere near as bad um but really for me the big one is the the reliability if you're going to I'm not a door kicker I'm not I'm not doing things like your guys are doing Rick I don't need the best of the best but I need something that's reliable, and because it failed on me, I don't feel comfortable recommending it to other people. Um, at I some point, that, I will uh, upgrade.
1: I bet that battery short is the uh, bikini cover.
0: Yeah, 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 probably. So, anyway, I I do. I'm not bashing it. I mean, I think if you're just going to go to the range and plank, um, I think it's fine. I would not trust it as my home defense. Unfortunately, it is on my home defense rifle, but uh, I will at some point upgrade. And in the meantime, uh, I obviously always have my backup <clears throat> on that that firearm so what, what but, question, one question yes. yes
2: did primary arms offer to return it and repair it or replace
0: it they did their customer service was great but keep in mind it wasn't the warranty period so i felt like they kind of had to do that but they were great about it they did return it everything was free so i did appreciate that i just because of that i would hate to recommend this to someone and have it go bad in a bad situation so i i just think there's better options out there um I tend to give these inexpensive things a chance b- because I feel like you can get good products in a lower price range. But because it failed, I just I don't have the confidence that I once would have.
2: Well, here, here's here's a mark on that. Um, I bought lots of scopes for the military and everything else too. Um, it's not about the advertised durability, whatever it's going to do. Everything breaks. There are there are faults in every product line. You'll get battered too. Right. It depends on what happens when after you call the company. And i tell you, there's another secret about glass, too. Uh, I had a sniper. We went to, you know, went to many shooting schools. You know, he says, I've got six guns. I got one, I got one scope. You only shoot one one gun at a time. You put it, the, the repeatable mount. He says, he had, he had a US optic scope, which probably at the time was a $2,500 $2, scope. Wow. And he says, I've got lots of, and here's the other thing says, I've got lots of good quality rifles but I'd rather put one high quality scope on them because the truth is you buy a $1,200 rifle and put a $300 scope on it. You've got a $300 rifle. That's true. All
0: right, Rick. So I've uh, talked about my products. What about you? What do you got for us?
2: Uh, This is a neat little product. I know people don't get all excited about cleaning products, but I kind of do because, you know, when you got a lot of firearms and you can do a lot of shooting, you got to clean them up pretty well. and, and, There's always a problem, you know, everybody likes a lot of stuff is caustic. A lot of people, it it does damage to your barrels if you don't clean it right. Um, You know, and if you work for a a bigger company or bigger organization, you got to worry about the little three-letter word called EPA, you know, they go. So I I, uh, picked up, it's a product called Gunzilla. It's made by Top Duck uh, Manufacturing. It is an all-natural product made of plant materials and a quick story behind it. It was built by a, a guy, a friend of this guy. His son was in the navy, and he kept complaining about his hands being burned up by the the, the cleaning materials they used to clean the three-inch guns. This guy set to work, developed this cleaning material, this cleaning product. I picked it up first saw it in uh, the national match in Camp Barry. They were giving it out for free. Um, first time I really used it, I had about two or three hundred rounds through my AR shooting matches, cleaning it. Stuff was amazing, taking carbon off the bolt, out of the barrel. I used it all over the place. Got called real quick. We're going to dinner down in, off a off of base, so I run. This is a, this is an amazing thing. I went to go clean my – put the rifle away, wash my hands. And if anybody's ever cleaned an AR-15 or any semi-automatic rifle, you can't – unless you clean it with rubber gloves. I know a lot of people do, but I had black carbon all over my hands from probably wrist down to my fingers. I went in, no one expected I was probably going to end up with gray, gray hands. I washed my hands with soap and water and it came cleaner than I, when I started, I was amazed. I went and talked to the guy the next day. This stuff is, is the way he described it is it's a, the, the material gets in between. It penetrates between the metal and the dirt and lifts it out. It doesn't do it chemically. It doesn't destroy the thing. It lifts it out. And, uh, it really does good cleaning. Like I say, speaking of the EPA, since it's all, chem- it's a uh, non-caustic. It's all plant material. You could literally take half a bottle, throw it in the trash, and not violate any EPA rules. Which the organizations, when you work for the government, they get all excited about that kind of stuff because you have to worry about everybody. But it's called Gunzilla. It's safety. I use it on the bolts. I, uh, I when I clean my rifles, I use this as a wet to patch, and then I use a JB bore cleaner to to take out the, the carbon and things like that, then i wet it back and when it dries it actually leaves a dry film lubricant on the material so uh, i think a quartz like 25 hours you can order it through like uh, top gun products but it really is uh if you got children and maybe we i actually had a friend who had uh uh say asthma and couldn't use the uh, ammonia based products you had clean weapons out outside um this didn't affect them at all you know it, it has a no smell no odor to it it really is yeah. good
0: People don't realize like those chemicals like, and I've cleaned them with my bare hands, but I try to wear gloves now because people don't realize like that stuff's pretty nasty. I mean, it really can mess you mess you up. So it's it's good to find products like that. I've I've heard of a couple others that are very similar, and uh, you know, I need to start using some better product. I think, but uh, anyway, I I do I do want to just say, uh, Rick, you know, had, yeah, John, this show actually going a little longer than most of our shows, but I alluded to earlier on like the the credentials you have and. I think it's telling, you know, I mean, you give us everything from competition shooting to tactics to gear. And, uh, you know, and this is what the show is
1: about talking about yeah. how you get involved. And in, in, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't stop him from talking.
0: Like I, I just, it was like, I wanted more, wanted more, wanted more, but I, before we end a couple things, I do want to give a quick shout out. Um, we have, uh, some listeners. I can't believe this, Keith. We have a listener that, that signs on from Ireland. We have some that are from, uh, Idaho. um, We got to get him
1: on the show. I want to talk to him. I know.
0: Hey, listen, if you're out there and you're listening to this show and you've listened to this whole episode, hit us up. Like, find us on Instagram. Reach out. Direct message me. You know, I want to talk to you guys. So if you're out there, um, and I don't care where you're from, New York, whatever, but Reach out to us because it's amazing. I'm, I'm loving the, uh, the support we're getting. Maybe and we I, can
1: do some like uh, call-ins on a show. That would be kind uh, of fancy.
0: Man, I want to do a live show. If, if there's interest out there and people say, I'll, I'll be there for a live show, I'll do a live show. So um, if you like this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. And of course, we'll read any of those comments that you leave in future episodes. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Gun Experiment so we can keep the conversation going. Rick, thank you so much for being on the show. It was an absolute honor to have you on. And I don't think there's many people that have the, the knowledge that you do rattling around in that head of yours. And I appreciate you sharing it with us.
1: Yeah, thank you. Hope we get to talk again, Rick. Thank you.
0: All right. So thank you very much, guys. And uh, have a great night.